anybody else has preached over the last four years, that this is the most critical series for this faith family because this series will, and how we respond to this series as a faith family greatly determines the future of this local church. What she is about, where she spends her energy, even what she looks like and how she operates, I believe hinges on how this faith family accepts, shuns, ignores, totally rejects uh, what Paul has to say to us over the next several Sundays. I have tried multiple times to, 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 to pigeonhole this down into a set number of messages, but it's become a regular occurrence that when I sit down with Scripture and notes and, and commentary and prayer and the Holy Spirit, that he says, hey, and this needs to be shared too. So I don't know how long we will be in this series, but I pray that we are all faithful to the Holy Spirit's guidance, and that I don't get the urge to plow through some difficult stuff but we go at the right speed for this faith family. If you're a visitor, I hope you hear through these, these series of messages that this is who we desire to be, that we desire to be a faith family that is completely sold out on all things God, that we want to follow his, his commands, his encouragement. We want to be in his will regardless of the effort that it takes from us and the pain that it might uh, bestow on us as well. If you're a member, I want to encourage you to engage on a deeper level than you have in some time, uh, to make sure that you are, 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 are tuned in. If you have to work or if you're out of town, if you're sick, I encourage you to please go back and listen or watch these series of messages, not for the presentation, but for the truth that is, included, that is in, in, in each presentation. I encourage you to use uh, the, the one sheet. If you have not done that over the past several months into the year, uh, into a year, I pray that you start doing that because it's going to take us deeper and further and in sometimes different directions and we can all go together in 30-ish minutes on a Sunday morning. So please, I encourage you to engage. I encourage you to carve out time to connect to the text. I encourage you to have conversation with God about this. I encourage you to have conversation in your care groups or in your family. I encourage you to have conversation with me about this because I truly believe that this series could change drastically what we look like, how we operate, and how effective we are in our kingdom endeavors. I, I, I just want you to, to join in praying that we are, that we are true individually and collectively, corporately, to the texts that we will invest our time in. We're going to be in the book of Titus. And to call it a book is, is really wrong because it's a letter, and it's not a very long one. Three chapters, 46 verses. If you're an average reader, it will take you about six or seven minutes to read the entire thing. And I want to encourage you every week. This week, I'm going to encourage you every day to take six or seven minutes and to read this letter. We're going to talk a lot in the coming weeks about where this letter was written, why it was written, by who, give you a lot of that cultural, contextual, uh, historical, geographical, all that context that makes this come more alive. But today I just want to sort of, I want us just to sort of rest on what the book of Titus is about 
If we were just to, to finish that sentence, the book of Titus is about, or the letter of Titus is about, how would we finish that? Well, we could say that, that the letter of Titus is about the gospel at work. Now, not at like Marietta Memorial Health Services or fiscal services, but it's the gospel, how it plays itself out in our daily lives. Not just on the pages uh, of Scripture, not just when we're in the friendly confines of uh, the walls of FBCWM, but how does it play itself out in our daily lives? We could say that the book of Titus is about being saved by God for good works. I encourage you to look for, for themes in this book as you read through it this week. One that you will see over and over is this idea of good works. I, I went through it and highlighted just how many times the idea of works comes up. And there's a lot of orange on my pages in these three chapters. It's not that good works save us. It's a reminder that we have been saved from sin by God for good works. And as a believer, we have been saved for something, not just from something. We can also say that this letter is about the obedience and structure and purpose of the local church. Because this is a pastoral epistle, a pastoral letter, and he is instructing, Paul is instructing Titus, who he left in Crete, to put things in order, to, to get things running the way that they are supposed to. We could say that the, the letter of Titus is the connection between sound doctrine and godly living, individually and collectively as a church. And that, I believe, is the hinge uh, where, where Titus is going to, to sort of to rotate, to open and, and close. The connection between, godly, um, between sound doctrine and godly living. And that's where I want us to rest. Three chapters, 46 verses, because Paul loves run-on sentences. There's, there's fewer sentences than verses in this letter. Six to seven minutes to read through it, but this is rich. And I want to use today to kick us off down this journey by telling a story about me. Uh, you, if you've been here for a while, you know at least part of this story. Uh, if you're new, uh, welcome to the family. You get the, you get the, the inner, an inner view, literally, uh, of some of the last two years of my life. And your story might be different, but I tend to believe that you have a story in your life that reflects these same points that you're going to see throughout this story. And I pray that you can see the connection in what I say and what Paul is saying to the church, between your story and what Paul is saying to the community of believers that make up the church of Jesus Christ. We'll go back a few years to 2019. Uh, uh, September the 24th, 2019 was not my favorite day. My dad and I were going out to cut firewood. We've been doing this for about four decades together in some way, shape, or form. It, used, it started off by me picking up the pieces that I was uh, strong enough to pick up and, and throwing them in the wagon and then emerged, evolved over those decades into equal work, cutting and, and splitting and, uh, because we burn wood for warmth in the, in the winter. So we were out one this morning, and there was this big oak tree, and we cut it down, and it was on the side of a hill, so we wanted to be safe, Jeremy. We wanted to be safe, and we wanted to, 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 to get this off the hill into the flat where it would be do no harm. 
Well, we cut it up, and he, we drug a piece off, and then we had a piece about, I don't know, a foot or so in diameter that we had the chain around, and Dad was on the tractor, and he was pulling it, and I was from here to the corner of the stage behind it, thought I was safe, but that caught on something, and on that tight chain, spun around and hit me right below the knee, right? That's what my knee looked like afterward. So I, I don't know if you know this or not, and please don't hurt my feelings by saying amen too loudly to this next statement, but when it comes to blood and pain, I'm a wimp. I do not like it. Uh, I, I can barely stomach seeing your blood, your pain. When it comes to me, uh, no. I mean, to, th- to let you know how bad it was, when I was in junior high, I was in 4-H, and our 4-H club decided to go to the to Camden Clark's emergency department for a tour. Tough little Tony had to finish the tour in a wheelchair uh, because... <laughs> He hit the ground uh, during the tour. And, and I wish that was the only one. Uh, but there's been times I've visited some of you guys in your homes where I've had to take a seat because the story just got a little too intense for me. And I thought that I was going to be like ultimate failure as a dad when my kids were being born. Um, but by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, he kept me upright uh, through half of my kids uh, being born. Uh, But I don't like pain. I don't like blood. Luckily, there was no blood in this story. But when my dad saw that I wasn't standing where I was supposed to be standing, he stops the tractor, stands up, finds me, asks if I'm all right. Well, I had set up, and I was okay. So I thought, and he goes, well, let me check. So I raised up this leg, and everything stayed straight like it was supposed to. I picked up the other leg, and only half of it uh, went the way it was supposed to, and the other part just sort of dropped down. I said, well, you might want to go get some stuff. My dad was on the ER, not the ER, the emergency team at, 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 at Sobic and GE Plastics for a number of years. So we thought, well, we can splint this together, and we can go, and we can go have the doctor take care of it. Um, by the time he went up and notified family and came back down, I had changed my mind um, that we weren't going to do that. So he threw the tomato steaks and the baler twine off to the side that we were going to use to fix the problem. And luckily, when Little Hawking showed up, they sent the four biggest, burliest guys on the, metal, on the fire department to my rescue because they had to drag me out of the holler. I had to ride to the top of the holler, right? in the back of a pickup truck. Then they put me in an ambulance. Then they brought me to Belpre, where I saw um, the the Elliot's mom. And it was nice to see her face, see Kara's face, and another nurse who was there who I had grown up with. It was great to see that. But when they looked at the x-rays, they said, yeah, it's broken, and nobody around here wants to touch it. So they sent me to Columbus. And up there, there was this team uh, at Grant Medical. There was this team that, that pieced my shattered leg back together uh, and, and put all those fine screws and everything in there. I still have them at home. I shared them with my 11th grade Bible class at Wood County Christian not too long ago. Um, so if you want to see those, I still have them. Uh, they're setting up on the shelf in my office. Um, share those with you. If you have an accident and want some cheap stuff, uh, I, I'll make you a deal. Uh, we can, you, can, you can have those. But they put me back together as best they could. Uh, But my leg, I don't know if you know this or not, but your leg's not straight either. Um, A a leg usually is like two or three degrees out of straight. Mine was 15, 16 degrees out of straight. If you were here then, you remember how awesome that looked, right? Because I I looked like a bike with a kickstand, and it was crooked. But that's the best that they could do. 
And after I was released from Columbus and brought down here, Jason, Dr. Gessel, uh, Jason Gessel took over and, and great care from him. Thankful for the doctor that he is. He got me healed up, gave me exercises to do, and then got me healing, healing, healing until the point that we could do it all over again and replace that shattered, crooked, painful leg with a new knee uh, that has, has been great. And it's been just an over a year. I've been able to go fish in the Madison River in Montana. Um, I've been able to cut my own firewood without accident. Um, we've been able to do all these things. But throughout this story, there are some, there are some, some th things that I'm extremely thankful for. One, I am extremely thankful for Jason Gessel and the great ortho doctor that he is that he is able to, to take something broken and put it back together or replace it with something better to fix the issue. He, he, he one time said, hey, are you sure about this? Because it could be weird for a, a, a church member and a pastor to be in this thing together. Like some people, it makes some people nervous. I'm like, hey, I figure if you mess it up, you got to look at it every Sunday. Uh, so let's go for it. But I'm thankful for Jason and for the doctor that he is. I'm thankful for a good core. Uh, but before, I, I, there wasn't a day went by before my friends, my men's ministry team showed up at Grant Medical. And I think they risked their lives because they came after dark. Um, and it's not in the best place in Columbus. But they were there. Uh, not the, 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 the least not the least part of that core was Shelby, and so thankful for her. And then, then a great community. I, I don't know if you know this, but we sort of live on a family compound uh, out in the Vincent area, so I'm thankful for that family compound. And then our neighbor, who, who wanted to help in some way, and she did this holistic health type of thing, and she wanted to come over and do something, so I, she finally convinced me to let her come and do this massage on the deep tissue, and she came over and she used these um, tuning forks where she would hit them and she would place it on different places and it felt so good until she put that thing right on one of the screws in my leg and I thought I was coming apart. But I'm thankful for her and, and that community and I'm thankful for this church community. Guys, before this year I hadn't cut firewood for two years because Randy and Dave and, and, and the Rue family and all of these people and, and came and, and kept us warm during the winter. I'm so thankful for the community that surrounds us. In this story, there had to be a little bit of obedience. Because if I had ignored what Dr. Gessel said, what the physical therapist said, there would not have been the benefit that there could have been if I hadn't followed their direction. And the community spoke into that as well. Um, because I had several of you say, hey, follow what the doctor says. Because I didn't. And when they had to re-free up the leg, it was worse than an initial break. So I'm thankful for that, that there was obedience in there. And sometimes that was forced obedience. Because sometimes I got quite comfortable sitting in the recliner watching the 13th football game of that weekend. And sometimes it was forced, but it was obedience. And then in this story, there's also painful endurance. Because to fight through the pain for something better is necessary. Whether it's my story or whether it's your story. Sometimes there's just painful endur endurance necessary. Now, to do nothing really was not an option. Because to do nothing meant that, 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 that there was going to be this continuous cycle of frustration and ongoing pain. 
My leg never would have been straight. I never would have been able to stand in a trout stream without a walking stick and fighting the current. Uh, It always would have hurt, and it would have just got worse and worse because that would have led to other issues. Walking crooked would have messed up my back, which would have messed up my shoulders. It would have just been this cycle of increasing pain and frustration if to do nothing. So that wasn't really an option. Now, on a completely different scale and setting, Paul says, or Paul gives a similar path to a church that he more than likely had a lot of influence and involvement in in its early years. Again, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are called pastoral epistles. They're written to pastors, leaders of churches. Uh, They have a lot to do with the structure and the function of the church. And in this short letter of Titus, we see some similar ingredients to this list up here. You see, all throughout Scripture, God, Jesus, is referred to as the great physician as a great healer. If you read through Titus and you look at the number of times that, that, that God is brought up, he is the central character. It talks about the faith of God, the grace of God, about knowing God, about the peace of God, about the teaching of God, the Son of God, the Spirit of God, belief in God. God is, don't ever doubt this or forget it, the central figure in all of Scripture and in Titus this letter that we're going to look at. There is, there, there's this need for a healthy, for a good core. And we're going to read a word today that's a little bit foreign to us uh, in, in how we do church. But we're going to read this word, elders. And he's talking about these godly, these biblical leaders who are charged with and responsible for leading a local church. There, is a, there has to be a good core. There's also this community. It's referred to in Scripture as the household of God, as the church, as the ecclesia, as this community of believers that are doing life together, that are laboring together in chasing after the mission that God has put on the church global and on the church local. And he speaks of obedience. If you read through this, and we're going to in just a minute, as we read through it together or you on your own, look for those words of obedience. He'll spend some time saying, the world is doing this, but then he'll say, but you. Those are words of obedience. He'll say, the world's doing this, but you got you need to put things in order. He says, the world is doing this, but remember, church, This is what I say. He's calling us over and over and over to obedience. And this word set straight, right, you cannot say that without this idea of painful endurance coming to mind. You see, because this word set straight is really a, a, a medical term, if you go back to the original Greek, Whether your Bible says to put in order, to set straight, to to put right, it's a medical term that is epa ortho, epa de ortho. Ortho, you see that in there? Ortho, Dr. Gessel, ortho, set straight. It's a medical term that means to mend, to fix, to heal the right way. Paul uses that terminology. And to go back for just a second, for a church just to maintain the status quo, 
is going to lead to increasing pain and frustration. Now, I want you to think just for a second. I want you to go back. Maybe you've been a Christian, a believer for a number of years, and we'll say decades. I want you to think about those decades and how we communicate differently over those decades. Right? Uh, my, my, uh, my, my seventh and eighth grade classes and my 11th grade classes, my own kids and nephews and nieces, uh, they have phones. Rarely do I see them talk on their phones. It's texts. It's pictures. Right? Remember the old, it took you five minutes to dial somebody's number phone? Right? And then if you messed up, my number started 989. It took three minutes just to get those three letters uh, in your rotary phone. And we, but we talked on the phone. We don't communicate via the phone the way we used to. It's text. It's pictures. It's, it's what somebody else said about something. Even our staff here can have complete conversations without ever using a word or saying something to one another. Just by pictures from our favorite show or from our family. We communicate differently. Now, is the message that you have been communicating over those 10 years changed? Those those decades changed? Man, I hope not. I still hope we're proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He's the only way to salvation. But the manner in which we may communicate that has changed. The manner in which we have communicated anything has changed. Rarely do I get a paper bill from Marietta Memorial anymore. Right? It's, it's email. It's all on your, on your dashboard thing, account you have. We communicate differently, but we communicate the same message. And if the church is grounded in four decades ago, we are missing a captive audience. As we shared last week, this, the, people are searching for truth and for answers. They want somebody just to tell them the truth. And if we're not willing to adapt our methods, we're missing out on spreading what we should be proclaiming to the masses. So I pray that as we read through this, as we look at this, that we are open to where the Holy Spirit will lead us, individually and corporately. Individual brother and sister in Jesus Christ and collectively as the household of believers that make up FBCW so that we can have a bigger impact on the communities around us. You see, Paul gives uh, this this, uh, treaty, this encouragement to a local church that is struggling against culture in Crete. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in coming weeks, but Crete sounds like a great place to be called as a pastor. Do you know where it is? It's in the Mediterranean Sea, down at the tip of Greece. If you go and Google it and look at it, you're going to see beautiful beaches. God, call me there. But when you look at what even the Cretans say about the Cretans, it was not a good place. It was not an easy place to minister It was not an easy place to be a a member of the local church, and we're going to see that. And Paul writes this to a church that is struggling to have a voice in the culture. Again, like we said last week, he could have written this yesterday to churches struggling to keep their voice in culture. In his charge to Titus, because Jesus hasn't returned, is Paul's charge to us in 2021. 
Today, I want us simply to consume this letter together. No further points, no further application or drawing out tidbits. We'll get into that in the coming weeks. But today, I just want us to read this letter from Paul to the church of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. You guys know that I love the ESV, and I'm not ready to put it down. And I, I love the ESV because I think it's the, 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 the translation team has done a good job of committing to staying true to the original text. But sometimes it gets a little chunky and blocky, uh, and especially if you're reading large texts. It doesn't, it doesn't flow the way we talk. The Holman Christian Standard Bible does that a little bit better. So I hope that you can get into the flow of this letter, right? The opening, the body, and the closing of Paul to a young charge who is leading a church that is struggling to keep its voice in culture. Let's read together. Paul, a slave of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, to build up the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his message in the proclamation that I was entrusted with by the command of our God and by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, as I directed you. To appoint elders in every town, one who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. For an overseer, as God's administrator, must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from Judaism. It is necessary to silence them. They overthrow the whole households by, by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of men who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to, but to, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. But you must say the things that are consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be level-headed, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children to be self-controlled, pure, homemakers, kind, and submissive to their husbands so that, the, so that God's message will not be slandered. 
In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with your integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound and beyond reproach so that the opponent will be shamed, having nothing bad to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Say these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out the Spirit on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by, justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God, who believe God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable to everyone, but avoid foolish debates genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person is perverted and sins being self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. And our people must also learn to devote themselves to good works for cases of urgent need so that they will not be unfruitful. All those who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of us. Paul in these 46 short verses shares something for all of us. Regardless of where you are on the, 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 the years and age spectrum, where you are in your faith journey walk, regardless of your role in the local church, he says something to us. We should give ear and listen to what Paul says. We're going to look at two fantastic summaries of the gospel Did you pick up on those in chapter 2, verse 11, and in chapter 3, verse 4, where if you were just to hand this to somebody on the note card, they would have a a very concise picture 
of what the gospel means and what the gospel does. We're going to be implored over and over and over to do good works, not so that we get pats on the back, but so that the, the, the word of God is adorned in our communities and across this globe. As we read this daily and weekly, ask the Spirit to guide you in understanding. If you're an ESV reader, read it for a couple weeks out of the ESV, switch over to something else. Uh, read it as a family. Rewrite it into modern, more modern language. Immerse yourself in this letter from Paul to Titus to us. And I want to encourage us that as we move forward, if our goal is adorning the gospel with good works, are we willing to set straight all that needs to be? Are we willing to take a, a, a hard, deep look personally at our lives and make adjustments where we need to so that we are better proclaimers of Christ's gospel? Are we collectively, as a body of believers, willing to do what we need to do so that our message of Jesus Christ, our elevating of Jesus Christ and his gospel, is heard more frequently, more boldly, more plainly, more passionately than whatever version of confusion the culture is trying to spew that day? Are we willing, church, to do whatever we need to, to set straight our efforts, our attitudes, our intentions, our organization, our decision-making structure, our ministries, our services, in order to make much of our Savior. This world is lost without him. If Jesus gets muddled and lost in the confusion, we are not doing our job, church. We are not fulfilling our mission. So I am praying daily that you join me in a commitment to set straight. Maybe it's little things. Maybe it's big things. Maybe there will be some painful endurance that must take place. But we're willing to do it just as Jesus did for the joy that's set before him. Of seeing people come to Jesus Christ and having their eternity secured forever. Are we willing to do what we need to do to make much of our Savior?